Save the date. Have you ever gotten one? Gotten one in the mail? It says, uh, save the date, and it'll have, a, you know, July the 20th. And it's usually regarding uh, the announcement of an engagement. That's, that's what I've seen over these past years. Sometimes I wonder if there's going to be a, a save the date to save the date to save the date. Because it seems like there's so much that goes into these uh, announcements, these parties, these announcement of important things, announcing of important things. You know, when Marcy and I got married, our wedding anniversary is coming up here. It's December the 27th. As a matter of fact, we have a wedding here on the 27th of December. And we'll get to celebrate our 39 years of marital bliss 39, yes, with a wedding here in this room. But when Marcy and I got married, I proposed, I had a ring. We let our family, the church, know in December the 27th, 1975, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we had a wedding. But not so today. Save the date. Reserve it. Put it on the calendar. Come to this announcement party so that we can then announce the announcement that we're engaged and that we're going to get married and it goes on. And I understand the point of it all. You do too. What is the point? They don't want you to miss it. They want to make sure you understand. They want to make sure that everyone has the information. Proclamation, that's been the theme of our readings this week. A candle reminding us that if Christmas is really about anything, it's about proclaiming the good news that we find only in Christ. I've chosen a passage that comes out of the Old Testament this morning. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. We want to read verses 6 and 7. You don't have screens to look at today, which means you're going to have to, like, use your Bible. That's a novel idea. Or use the outline that I've given you. Tell me thank you. You're welcome. You'll see the basic outline and even the words printed from God's Word there. Or just sit back and focus and pay attention because what we talk about today is really the most amazing, the ultimate save the date ever. A little background on Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He has a book with his name on it. There are 66 chapters in the prophecy of Isaiah. So he is one of those major prophets. You know, when you talk about major prophets or minor prophets, it's not that one is more important than the other. It's all about the length of their prophecy. And Isaiah is indeed a major prophet. He has a very lengthy book, very lengthy set of prophecies concerning God's will. Isaiah ministered or worked or prophesied during a very important, tumultuous time in the history of God's people. The nation had already split into two. They had had that civil war way back there after King Solomon died. And the nation was now a north kingdom of Israel with its capital in Samaria, basically called Israel in Scripture, but sometimes it's a little confusing. South Kingdom is called Judah. Judah had its capital in Jerusalem. And Isaiah was principally a prophet to the South Kingdom of Judah, though he lived before the North Kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. So if you date 
Isaiah, somewhere around 740 to maybe 690 B.C. I know that's not that big a deal to some of you, but that's where he is in historical context. But what Isaiah does for us who are on this side of the cross, he makes it very clear how important the prophecies concerning the coming of God's Savior really are. And there's one of those prophecies in the ninth chapter. It's two verses, verse 6 and verse 7, where we simply call it the ultimate save the day. There's ever marking of something important. Isaiah would say, it's these words that I'm giving to you in the ninth chapter of my prophecy as you divide it out, verses 6 and 7. I want us this morning to take a look at that save the day, because actually, it's more than one save the day. It's two. Verse 6 is one save the day that talks about the coming of the Messiah. And the second save the date is in verse 7, where it speaks of the coming future kingdom of God that we haven't seen yet. We're on this side of that, though we're on the far side of the coming of Jesus, and we understand and know because of the cross, we're yet to really experience the ultimate save the date. So we're going to take a careful look at both of them this morning. And hopefully, our looking at God's Word combined with everything we've done this hour will help us to understand what it means to love the Lord. He says there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting or eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's the first save the date. Isaiah, writing in what, 700 some odd years before the birth of Jesus, sends us a save the date in plenty of time to anticipate it. Most of the save the dates we see today are what, several months in advance? This is several centuries in advance. Why is it that important? Well, if you read the verses preceding chapter 9, verse 6, you will find that Isaiah is speaking to a group of people, a nation, that is tormented. It's living, the Scripture says, in a shroud of darkness. The political, military scene I just described to you is is not a pretty one. The kings that should have been leading Israel in a path of righteousness were leading them in the opposite way. Those kings named Hezekiah and Ahaz and Manasseh, among others. Some of them tried, but by and large, they were sending the nation down a path of destruction. And the people sensed it. And in the midst of that darkness, Isaiah gives his save the date. For unto us child is born, a son is given, the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then, here's the part that most of us are familiar with because of great works of music. His name will be called, and then there's that listing, not necessarily of names, but of titles. If you look at it carefully, even in English translations, off the page will jump eight words, and they're grouped in pairs. 
Now, sometimes this is a little confusing because there's a part of Handel's Messiah where it says, His name shall be called Wonderful. And then there's several measures of musical interlude. And then Counselor. And then it continues, Everlasting God, Father, Prince of Peace, all the way through. Wonderful Counselor are not two separate titles. They should be joined together. So as we look at it, we find that his save the date is talking about the coming birth of a Savior. And he is going to be described by these four titles. Eight words in pairs. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You notice how each one of these pairs gives a title for the Messiah. And then the other word describes the character, describes what the Messiah, the coming child, the the Christ child, the, the one that's going to be born unto us. Then we find what he is going to do. Evidently, there's kingship written all over this. Isaiah was living in a day and a time where the nation had a king, a ruler, And now he's talking about saving the date and looking toward the future when there will be an ultimate king who will come and he will rule over us all. But take a look at those four phrases once again, those four couplets, if you will. Wonderful counselor. When I hear the word counselor today, I think of someone that advises you about situations in life. You have people who give their life and train themselves to be licensed professional counselors. That's a totally different thing. The king was always looked at in these days as one who gave counsel. One whose plans were meant for the benefit of the people and of his kingdom. The coming Messiah will be a wonderful counselor. His plans for his nation, his plans for his people will be the best. The Bible says that he will be mighty God. Actually, mighty has the sense of hero. He will be our hero, our champion. Notice he's going to be a king who is divine in nature. Though the kings were high and lifted up in the 8th century B.C., they were not considered to be above others. They were not considered to be divine or God. But here, Isaiah, in his first say the date, tells us in no uncertain terms that this coming child, this one who will be born, who in a time of darkness we look toward the future to see what lies ahead, he will be the wonderful counselor. He will be our hero. What else? Eternal, everlasting Father. A Savior whose kingdom will have no end. You see, if you're living in the 8th century B.C., no matter what your station of life is, basically, you're living in a day of gloom and despair, a day of destruction, a day when you don't know what the next day will hold, if there will be a next day. A time when the Assyrian Empire is breathing down upon the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom is likewise threatened from 
several directions. And here is the promise of a father whose kingdom is everlasting and eternal, who will never, ever desert us. And then the last one, Prince of Peace. Now see, he's been called a a counselor. He has been called God. He has been called Father. And now he is called Prince. All of these terms that go back to the king in the Old Testament applied to this child who, whose birth is foretold to save the day that's all about him. And he will usher in a kingdom based upon the opposite of what everyone would consider to be the norm. Every army that came in took the land by force. Every empire that rose to its height only to be swallowed up by another one. It was what? It was a constant battle of might and destruction and violence. And yet, the child to be born to us will be a prince of peace. He will usher in a kingdom in a time of peace. Now, you take those four areas, those four couplets, you take those titles, you take those actions, and you put that into a person. And we know that that was ultimately fulfilled in one person, Jesus, the Christ. But you see, friends, this isn't the only save the date in Scripture. This is not the only place where Isaiah took time and said, well, someday there will be a new ruler. There will be a Savior. There will be a child born unto us. Someday that time will come. Isaiah wasn't the only one to say that. And if you look back through Scripture, you're going to find that God has been giving us save the dates Over and over again. Think with me quickly. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. This is in the aftermath of Adam and Eve making that fatal choice to turn away from God. They didn't need him anymore. And God pronounces judgment. Not upon just the man and the woman. But upon the serpent who had been the tempter. And he said these words. And I'm paraphrasing it. He said to the serpent. I'm going to cause an enmity. A battle between your seed and her seed. And when this happens, you're going to find that the serpent will strike your heel, but you will strike the head of the serpent. The serpent will strike the, the seed of the man will strike the head of you, the serpent. Which is what? It's a prophecy that what? That one day, one day, there will be a reckoning between good and evil, and good will win. To save the date. It's an idea that one day there will be one who strikes evil on the head, a fatal blow. It happened with Jesus. It's in the book of Exodus where Moses, that story of Exodus spills over into Numbers chapter 21. And what happened? Moses erected a bronze serpent, not to be an idol, but a bronze serpent that when it was held up before the people, if they looked upon it, it was a means of salvation from a calamity that they faced. And Jesus... When he was alive, when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said these words. He said, if I, the Son of Man, am lifted up as the serpent was lifted high in the wilderness, I will draw all men and women 
to myself. What was he saying? He was taking a save the date from the Old Testament. A means of salvation. It sounds very primitive to us. But a means of salvation. And he is lifting it up and applying it to himself. It's another save the date. Then we find that there is another sign. It's a sign from the Old Testament book of Jonah. Who was Jonah? He was a a prophet of God, an unwilling prophet of God. A man who did God's will but did it begrudgingly. And we know that God caused a big fish to swallow up Jonah. And he stayed in the belly of that fish for three days. Sounds a little strange to our ears. But then you hear Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew talk about a sign that would be sent to anyone who would listen. And it's the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for that period of time. Sounds strange. But you look at it carefully and you will find it's what? It's a save the date. It's a reminder that one day, something that happened in the Old Testament will remind us of what's going to be fulfilled in the life of Christ. And so it was. And then, perhaps the ultimate, save the date. Micah's prophecy, chapter 5, verse 2 singles out a village, a tiny village of Bethlehem and says, Oh, Bethlehem, everyone looks over you. No one considers you to be of any importance. You live in the shadow of the mighty capital of Jerusalem. But one day, what? One day, a child will come forth from your village and he will be the Savior of the world. There we have it. Save the date. Over and over again. But this save the date does something else for us. It's in the seventh verse where it says not, it says not only is this save the date announcing the coming of the Savior, but it's announcing the power and the victory of God's future kingdom. It says there in verse seven, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see, the first save the date was the birth of the Savior that happened 2,000 years ago. The second save the date in verse 7 is a reminder that one day, God's kingdom will be seen in its, in its clearest form. It will be ever before us. God's kingdom that will reign forever and ever. And it's the power and the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish these things. Saving the date. The promise of a coming Messiah. Saving the date from where we stand today. That if you think your life is turned inside out. If you wonder where the next job is going to come from. When you wonder if your family is going to make it or not. In the midst of the personal darkness you and I face. We can look toward a future. We can look toward an additional save the date. When God's kingdom will be displayed for eternity.
There's a legend. It's a story. It's not in the Bible. It's one of those once upon a time kind of stories. It's a once upon a time there was a king, an evil king, a king who was basically a barbarian, a king who ruled ruthlessly with no value put to human life. And this ruthless, barbaric king decided that in order to dispense his manner of justice, if there was ever someone who was to be brought before him for a crime, he had a way to dispense justice. And it was simply illustrated in the life of a young man that the king hated. You see, this young man had love for the king's daughter. And the king's daughter had love for this young man. But it was not to be. The young man was not born to such a family to where he could even think to take the hand of the young princess. And so the barbaric king had the young man dragged before his council and literally before all of the people of the land. And the scales of justice went like this. There was a curtain or a doorway that was on this side. And there was another curtain or doorway that was on the other side, the opposite side. Behind one curtain was a half-starved tiger who was ready to pounce on whoever was in his way. Behind the other door or the other curtain was a beautiful maiden. The young man would choose his own fate. He would choose the doorway on the right or the doorway on the left. And in so doing, if he chose the doorway of the tiger, he would instantly be mauled, devoured, killed. But if he chose the doorway where the beautiful young maiden was, he would be compelled and forced to marry her on the spot. The king's daughter, the princess, used everything she could to find out who stood behind what door. The king didn't even have knowledge of it. The king didn't even know that his own daughter had used treachery to find out which door the tiger was behind, which door the beautiful young woman was behind. And so when they led the young man out and he faced the two doors, he was forced to choose, and he stole a glance up to where the king was and the king's daughter sitting next to him. And he looked for a sign from the young woman, from the love of his life, to tell him which door to choose. From her perspective, she knew what lay behind each door. And she could nod to her the love of her life, to choose the door where the tiger was and she would witness the destruction, the death of the one she loved. Or she could choose the other door where she would give up the love of her life forever. The story says he stole a glance and without hesitation, she gave him a nod as to which one to choose. And so he chose. And the story ends right there. And the question is, which one 
did he choose? The lady or the tiger? Folks, many of us live our lives as though that's the kind of God we serve. An evil God. A God who forces us into certain situations. A God who really has no no value to human life. And many people think that they're forced into situations where they simply have to make a random chance that will either bring them happiness or despair and destruction. Or the choices that they make will affect others for whom they care. Isaiah says, no, we don't serve a a God and a king. We don't serve a father or a prince or a mighty heroic God who treats us that way. It's not per chance. The things, the cards of life are not stacked against you or for you. And it's time for us to stop living like that. And it's time for us to start understanding that when God gives us a save the date and God gives us a second save the date regarding the coming of his future kingdom, that RSVPs are in order. You know what it's like in human life to send out an invitation and no one responds to it. What's it called? It's called bad manners. It's called, uh, it, it's a faux pas. It's, it's the wrong thing to do. You respond to the sender very promptly. R-S-V-P. That's why people, when they send us those save the dates, they want some idea of who's going to be joining them, who's going to celebrate, so they can make plans because the plans cost money and they want everything to be in order. And so they send all these things out ahead of time. Why? Because they want to know, because they want the word to get out, because they want people to celebrate with them. And that's what Isaiah has done in his prophecy in giving us a save the date. And here's the question. Have you given it a response? Or do you move through life and continue to think that it's all about chance, it's all about some plot, it's all about some story that could or could not turn your way, and it's just up to random choice. No. You see, we know the ultimate save the date and the RSVP centers upon a cross where a baby who was born in a manger who grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man went to a cross one day and died so that we might live and was in the tomb for three days but rose on that third day and ascended into heaven, and we await the fulfillment of that second save the date. So quit playing with life like it's a choice between one of two doors and respond to the gift of life that comes only in Christ. Proclaim it, believe it, and live it. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here to acknowledge your presence in this room. Father, we know that there are decisions to be made here.
their choices to, to be decided. And it's our prayer today that we make wise choices, choices that honor you. For it's in Christ's name we offer our prayer. Amen. The setup here is a, a little different than most Sundays, but the invitation is the same. There'll be ministers and deacons who will be on these outer aisles to receive any who might come forward to make choices today because there could well be someone in this very room and you've yet to say yes to Jesus. You've yet to respond to the one who sent us. Very important, save the day. We'd invite you to give your life to Jesus, to respond in obedience, to ask him to indwell your life because that's what he came to do. It's called conversion. It's called getting saved. It's called making that choice to follow Jesus. So we offer that. Maybe you're here today and God is leading you to join this church, to become a part of our church family, the First Baptist Church in Louisville. If that's what God is leading you to do, then come forward. That's how you join our church. Maybe you're here today and you simply need prayer. There are people here in our church that offer prayers for you. Liz Turner and Ray Lowry will be on either side of, on either end or either outside aisle. Lawn balls up in the balcony most Sundays. There are just a few that believe in prayer, but they're here today. That if that's what you need, someone to pray for you and come forward, and they'll do just that. Maybe when you think of this Christmas, maybe when you think of what it means to proclaim his name, maybe when you read a prophecy like Isaiah 9, Saving the day. Maybe you've been a little lax in responding with obedience. Settle that issue today. Right now. That's our invitation. We stand together. We wait for you. As you respond to God, we wait.